informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. I'm joined today by Louisa Clutterback, who's Head of Operations at the British Game Assurance. Hello Louisa, how are you today? Hello, I'm very well. How are you, Joe? Very well, thank you. Now, we've joined together to have this little conversation because obviously we're a dog training company a dog supporting company and alongside our working dogs is the work they love to do which is normally on an estate they were either bred to go on an estate or they are on an estate or even if they never intend on going on an estate the dog has got that natural instinct in it part of what i want to do is to educate people on what the industry looks like a little bit away from the dogs more on the estate side so can you tell me a little bit about the background of the British Game Assurance and what it is you actually do? Absolutely, yes. And I actually would say um, that dogs are a very important part of what the BGA does um, because, you know, they're picking up the game and making sure it gets into the chiller really quickly. Um, so I'm a huge supporter of what you do. Um, so the BGA was set up to create a thriving game meat market, but also being underpinned by independent assurance all the way from egg to plate. We want to grow the consumer demand for game meat um, um, and then hopefully that will increase the value of the game. Um, and then on the flip side, we do assurance. So um, we are trying to create like a self-regulatory -regul shield around shooting. Um, so that means that we can sort of stand up to government and say, actually, we've got our house in order. Everyone's adhering to the correct standards um, and best practice. Um, yeah. So people have an audit, um, a shoot signs up and they have an audit um, that shows that they are adhering to best practice. So if we start, like there's no um, way of hiding from the fact that the shooting industry has understandably in some cases come under some severe criticism for the size of a shooting day, the amount of birds that are shot, what happens to those birds afterwards. It is really important that we show sustainability and the fact that these birds are going somewhere, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So um, we have a our standards that are put together by an advisory committee, um, such a, which is made up of sort of shoot owners, beaters, and some of the other countryside organisations. Um, and they put together our standards. And um, within the standards, we sort of got rearing ones. So, you know, you're not overstocking, all that sort of thing. So that's sort of on the welfare side. And then on the other end, um, once the bird has been shot, making sure that it's being handled as a, a food product um, and not just a byproduct of shooting. It is, you know, a, a, an important um, high protein meat that we need to get into the food chain. Um, so the standards sort of cover all of that. Um, something I'm actually working on at the moment is the wild, uh, sort of a game guide. And there will be a subject on like dog handling and that, because if you've got a bird, a, 
a dog with very sort of hard mouth you don't want it to be ruining all the birds um so we are now trying to cover all parts of the food chain um and that starts right at the egg with the game farm all the way to the game dealer and the retailer at the end I'm sure there's lots of ladies listening to you here who will have, happily say they want their dog not to have a hard mouth to it. Uh, it's quite yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm training a puppy at the moment. It's a nightmare. I think for um, myself, the reason we got involved with the BJ over a year ago now is, is because of the importance that it's a personal value to me and I'm sure it is to many other ladies that if you're going to take part in the shooting day that ensuring those birds end up on a plate or they're used in some way in a, in a way that is sustainable but also ethically sustainable i think that, that that's just as important um what we see right now though is this sort of feeling across the board that what's going to happen this year so can you explain what's going on currently that is sort of making so much turbulence within the shooting industry yeah, so I'm sure everyone has heard of bird flu. Um, bird flu has sort of decimated France. Um, and because of Brexit, there has to be a sort of a 90 day cooling off period from an infection until the birds can come over. Um, and sadly, uh, that hasn't happened. So we're not getting any birds from France, whether that's eggs, poults, however you sort of a shoot gets their birds um, or a game farmer for that matter. And that's just not happening this year. Um, I've had quite a few different figures banded around about how many of our birds come in from France, some as high as 80%. I don't think it's that much, um, but um, yeah, the, the amount of shooting going ahead this season is gonna be dramatically reduced. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. I've had several people be like, oh, it's okay, I'm getting my birds from France, and it's like, um, from Spain, sorry. And, um, I'm like, okay, but I'm sure that guy has probably sold it to three other guys and, you know, who's actually going to get the birds in the end. Um, so to, for people to understand the person perspective, do you know roughly how many birds we need a year, roughly in the UK? Um, so I know it's about 70 million that are normally, um, are, yeah, are, well, so no one actually knows. We do. We've been trying to do the figures off um, feed that is bought, um, obviously, and then because we need to create the demand. Well, we are creating the demand at the supermarket, but we then need to be able to not oversell the amount that is at the supermarket. So it's kind of difficult. But I think it's seventy million that goes into the food chain. I am horrific with numbers, so I probably should have had that written down beforehand. Sorry, um, but yeah. So. And, and I think it's also important to note that even though we won't have as many birds this year, we need to carry on marketing pheasant and trying to create that consumer demand because you can't just drop off for a year and then be like, oh, it's back. Um, it's really important that there's consistency with the messaging there with the retailers and the consumers. So if we think of 80% of 70 million, that's quite an extensive amount that we're not sourcing and then that does help us to put into perspective the knock-on effect of that so you know obviously there's an effect for us ladies who take our dogs out for a beating or picking up days but there is a huge effect on the actual gamekeepers themselves isn't it it's going to be a huge effect on the industry but this is going to be quite devastating for some gamekeepers and for some shoots yeah, absolutely. So I would say if you've got a friend who's a gamekeeper, please check in with them because we are hearing 
you know, stories of all the keepers being um, let go because, you know, the shoot can't fund them. Um, I think the most important thing is that, you know, we all need to pull together and support each other at the moment. Um, this, you know, we thought that the last two years were unprecedented with COVID and then to be hit by this, it's, you just couldn't write it. Like, it's, it's, it's awful, but we all need to support each other and um, get through till next season, the following season, where hopefully it will be more normal situation. Yeah, because it is the knock-on effect of COVID. This has been like year after year, think we're getting back, then this. It's, it's just consistent. If there are people who are listening who maybe don't take their, their dogs out on the stage, they just love gun dog training, they love being part of, of that side of it, is there ways that they can support what you do, support the gamekeepers, to, to support what we all love? I mean, so I would say just try and eat as much game as possible. Um, and promote um, so I head up Eat Wild um, which is our consumer facing campaign and I'm always pushing out recipes and reels I'm on TikTok I don't really understand it but I've tried to do recipes on that and it's just sort of following that and spreading the word especially if you've got friends who don't eat game I think there's a really old perception that game is you know really gamey and not very nice you know one of our standards is that the bird needs to get into the chiller as soon as possible and it's not hung, it then goes straight to the processor. Um, so, you know, there's no of that gamey flavor anymore. Um, so yeah, just encouraging people to eat the meat, I think. Um, and also, you know, talking, just talking to each other is really important. When we say there about, you know, the uptake of pheasant being used within the, the UK population that has started to see in a positive way a really good increase hasn't it yeah so um so since the BJA was set up sort of four years ago um retail sales so supermarket sales of game have gone up by 9.6 percent which is huge I think like that's massive um we are doing the data again this year to see what the effect in the last year has been um so things crossed it's again another big leap but you know Sainsbury's who had never done game before now there's an assurance scheme they said they were happy to start stocking it um so although the assurance scheme is creating this self-regulatory shield on the shooting side it's also making it easier for us to find new markets because there's traceability um, that gives the consumer peace of mind and whilst we always talk about in our group, the you know the, the dog side and and being out on the states, how much we all love it, we are also in some ways the consumer too. You know, I'm not on, but we you know we can, you know we take a brace or we're we've get, we're given access to free fares and as part of of the job we do, and we all love it and we all use it and eat it. Um, so before the the traceability, that means that even from that side of it, we know that what we're eating has had welfare standards. Exactly. And also you guys are in such a unique position because you go to lots of different shoots. Um, you can see whether a shoot is adhering to best practice or not. And like, you can always get in touch and be like, oh, actually I was on this shoot and I saw something pretty dodgy going on. Are they registered with you? Um, and if they are, we can, you know, we can get some auditors out there to see what's going on. And then if they're not, well, we can then go and talk to the agents or guns on pegs who might be selling those days and said, oh, I've received a complaint from this shoot. Um, are, are you selling days? Um, and then usually in that situation, they will speak to that shoot and say, we need to get you signed up with the BGA because we need to have an audit done. Otherwise we can't carry on selling your days. Because there is 
we all have to take a certain amount of count of accountability, don't we? We can't allow it to go on as it is because of the pressures we face in, in the modern uh, world of how other people outside of our sport perceive it. It is really important that we're quite strong and defend it, but defend it from, from a stance of knowing that we have something to defend. Absolutely. And also, I think educating anyone on like you know the the brilliant things that shoots do and how they look after the countryside and it would you know be absolutely devastating to the countryside if we lost shooting you know they look after all the hedgerows the cover crops all of this is important for wild animals not just pheasants and partridge um and spreading that message is so important you hit a like on a massive point that sometimes people who maybe not part of the community don't, don't realize that in these areas where the birds live during you know throughout the year, there's an encouragement for all other kinds of wildlife. You know, it's not just pheasant that eats the crop that's put down, it supports loads of other birds. It's yeah. all you know, when we've got pest control in those areas, that also supports other native birds who need that help. Yeah, absolutely. Like goldfinches, everything. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's so integral. And then, you know, on the economy side, it's supporting local pubs, restaurants, you know, beaters. It's, you know, some people I, I grew up with, literally the only time they'd go and talk to people was when they went off beating. So it's just such an integral part of the countryside. And it, it, if we can't, you know, we also are responsible to call out those people that aren't doing it correctly, but praise those that are. So now that you've sort of set up, a lot of people get scared by the whole idea of self-regulation, isn't it? Because it means holding yourself to a standard that maybe, not that you didn't do before, but you are then very aware that you've signed up to, to behave in a certain way. How has the uptake been? Do you see lots and lots of um, estates feeling that this is an important thing to be a part of? Um, yes. So I think the biggest hurdle is that people feel like the audit is an exam. And actually, most people fail the audit. And um, oh, sorry, my dog's just come to say hello. <laughs> I wondered what I was doing. Um, so the um, audit, um, you yeah, you get non-conformances and you have 30 days to rectify those. But actually, what we've done um, in light of bird flu is um, we've opened up our associate registration to any shoot. Um, it used to be it was £66 to sign up and you had to... You couldn't be part of it if all your if your game was going into the commercial food chain. However, we've got rid of that because we understand no one has the extra cash, um, and also probably not the extra time to do the paperwork that's needed for the audit. Um, but the associate now, you just have to sign up to say that you agree to the code of good shooting practice and the wild game guide. And that really is the minimum of standard that every shoot should be doing. So it's super easy. They just have to put their shoot name in and um, their email address. And that's it. So I, I we need the government have told us we need 80 percent of shoots to sign up to self-regulation. Um, so that's another reason for opening up. Um, I don't know if you know Lord Richard Bennion, he's the Minister for DEFA. Um, you know, he he said in Parliament that every shoot in the country must be signed up to BGA. He said if they weren't, they were stupid, which was a bit harsh. Um, you know, that's not, we don't want to, like, 
call people out for not signing up because they feel stupid. Um, but, you know, it shows that the support from government is there. Um, we are the only assurance scheme that is recognised by the government. Um, I know there are a few others and they are all brilliant. Um, but I would say they are sort of the starter on their way to full assurance. So part of the assurance, when you talk about the guides and everything that um, I, I should can do it, is there anything in there that you feel they wouldn't be doing it anyway if they were adhering to these minimum standards? So, yeah, I think there are a few things that Sheets just don't even realise that it's a legal requirement. Um, so, for example, if your game is going to a game processor, your shoot needs to be registered as a food business with your local authority. Um, it's literally just like a one, one page form on your sort of local council website. Um, but it's another way they're trying to shut down sheets is being like, oh, you're not registered as food business. You can't be putting those into the food chain. Um, it's very frustrating. And everyone's like, oh, why are you making us do that? And we're like, we're not making you. That's actually the law. You need to be doing that. Um, another really basic one is um, having the light bulb in the chiller covered or plastic Lots of people have um, glass ones in there and it's like, if that shards and goes into the pheasant breast or into the partridge, oh, it's going to be a nightmare. Um, we are currently reviewing the standards um, because we've had feedback that they're too onerous. Um, so we're trying to strip them back to predominantly just the legal stuff and maybe one or two things that are best practice and we feel everyone should be doing. Um, I know that the paperwork we send off out record books and they are quite intimidating but you know in Scotland some of this stuff is is legal and the Scottish shoots have no problem doing it because they know they have to it's just trying to get the English and the Welsh um, and the Northern Irish ones kind of on board with that as well. So although people get sort of quite scared of self-regulation we're just really saying we've got to stay within the legal requirements of the government but also just that bugging that tiny little bit you know like when you're talking yeah. about bulbs Bulbs are not a big thing to change, you know. It's not. Exactly. It's not massive changes in the way that you run a shoot. So, no. in one way, you're also educating them to what needs to be done anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like professionalizing it because also I don't think for a long time game wasn't seen as, you know, it just it kind of just was a byproduct of shooting. When you know we're really trying to change people's minds that it's this great wild sustainable meat you know my little sister's a vegetarian for example but she'll always eat game that I've shot because she's like it's had a really nice life you know it's lived in the wild unlike a chicken that's what you know they're six weeks they they're alive before they're killed a batch of chicken a pheasant can live up to like four years out there before it gets shot so you know I just think we just need to educate people on that yeah because when we talk about figures like 70 million we can't have 70 million byproducts of a leisure industry. It can't happen. No. We really do have to be using it. And, and we should be using it because of the benefits of pheasant. You know, it's a very lean meat. It's very good for you. I know that I think you put out some emails not so long ago about where it's being used within the NHS. Yeah, you know? NHS are doing a trial at the moment. I was actually with them Um the other day we were doing yesterday sorry we we're doing a training day like educating um, and informing them about um game and its importance that was venison as well as um as feathered game um we've also you know it's been in the mod for the last two years um so it's you know people are slowly realizing but 
they're just worried about the backlash that they'll get from sort of vegan and um animal rights groups but that's why it's so important that when people are eating game it's come from an assured shoot because at least that shoot can stand up and say no no these have been reared to the highest welfare standards and the highest environmental standards so we're actually having a positive impact on the countryside as opposed to a negative one we also have a huge export market don't we for pheasant yes so that um has kind of changed um since brexit it was really, really hard to the, the amount of paperwork and things now to export to Europe is incredibly difficult. And um, there are still a few processes that are exporting out. And um, we've also been like, we have negotiated deals out to Hong Kong and things like that in the past. Um, export is not our predominant focus at the moment. We really want everyone in the UK to have pheasant as like a staple you know, just like they'd have chicken, we want you to have pheasant. Um, and like, actually, when you're just talking about then about the health benefits of it, you know, anyone, any of my friends who are really into like gymming and gains and all that stuff, I'm like, swap your pheasant, you know, swap chicken for pheasant because it's much higher in protein um, and it's leaner. So, you know, less fat, higher protein, you're going to get in the, the nutrients that you need much quicker. And also supporting the British countryside, also supporting the British economy. Yeah. And also when you mention things like chickens are alive for six weeks, it frightens me that chickens can get that big in six weeks. In... Well, what are they pumped full of? That's it, I can't even think about it too much because I think I would probably be quite disturbed by it. But it is that frightening, isn't it? But then I think we also have this perception or acceptance of if it's on the supermarket shelves and we see the, the red tractor or we can see it's from Britain, we know there is a set welfare standard. We we don't look into it too much because it's yeah. not always the nicest thing to look into. Whereas when we look at our shooting, maybe we put it more under the limelight and more under the sort of microscope of saying, well, is this is this good for the birds? You know, is it right? Is it correct? Is it ethically humane? And I think sometimes people don't, delve into that enough to know that the answer is yes it is actually um a better way well, yeah, you don't have to go to an abattoir you know they're not it's just the, yeah for, for me I mean I basically don't eat chicken anymore because I I also had to do some research into you know and that I yeah never want to eat it again I think um it is exactly it's completely in the wild it hasn't had to travel to an abattoir like we took we did a game sort of pop up in Bristol a few years ago and there were vegetarians and vegans that never even heard of pheasant um and so we just um they they, they all tried it and they were like it's delicious um and they were like well if it's had this life in the wild I definitely want to eat it um so it's just things like that I think also you never see dead chickens and you never see dead cows or sheep so my biggest thing is trying to get away with people posting like photos of dead pheasants um, because that's instantly going to put people off. One of the supermarkets um, for a while had pictures of cows on their um, packaging and the sales of beef dropped down. Uh, they switched that to a drawing of a cow and the sales went back up. So it just shows that, you know, people don't want to be that connected to their food. A lot of us do, but I think we need to remember that the majority don't. <laughs> Yeah, and it is that sort of um, disconnect. Like, for example, my husband's now to instructor, and sometimes they get groups from um, inner city 
and they get off the bus, they see a sheep and they're petrified and they're like, what is in? It's like, Matt comes home and no, no, we don't laugh because that's nothing, but that's how disconnected they are. They don't know what a sheep is. And I'm like, sometimes, sometimes that's not very good for you where you don't realise what it is you're eating or, or where they came from or, yeah. or what its life cycle was like. Yeah. Um, going forward, um, what we've spoken a little bit about what people can do to like check on the, the gamekeepers who are around them, check on the industry to eat more fares. And where can they find, like, we've put out some of your recipes, but where can they find like lots of your recipes? And where can they source fares? And if they're not part of an estate of an estate? So um I had the Eat Wild website, which is www.eatwild.co which was supposed to be edgy and appeal to like millennials and Gen Z's actually drives me mental, the .co. But um, yeah, if they head to there, there's um, a page of stockists. Um, they are online suppliers. There's some really good ones out there, like Home Farm Venison, um, Wild and Game, uh, Wild Meat Company. I mean, they're, they're all BGA registered. They're all using Assured Game, so you know it's come from the correct sort of shoot. Um and on yeah, so the recipes, and also I'm on Instagram, um, Facebook, and Twitter for Let's Eat Wild. So yeah, so we can go to those. And yeah. as you sort of mentioned, and as we just discussed about putting up pictures of dead pheasant and dead, um, dead cow, we could encourage people around us by putting up the pictures of food, couldn't we? Once we've cooked exactly. like fares and curry or whatever we can put those up and encourage people to look at the, uh, at eating pheasant and also when you're out in like your local pub just ask them you know do you ever put pheasant on the menu I think the more that pubs and restaurants can see that people want it that's really really helpful yeah, and the one sort of thing obviously I'm passionate about this whole topic from from an ethical position but also it's really important people understand the high quality of our dogs they're breeding to do a job has been that way for, for as long as they've been registered or bred in this way or as long as there's been shoots to get the best of the best if we take away shooting we no longer have that push to have the best of the best so it indirectly affects the quality of the dogs we see going forward yeah yeah exactly and I don't think you'd have any of the trials or any of that. I think that would all kind of be lost um, once shooting goes. Which would be incredibly sad because our dogs do an incredibly, well, they, they blow me away watching a dog hunting. I think you can't ask for, for a better day out. They just, they're just fascinating. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I will put in the show notes all the links to Eat Wild and to the British Game Assurance, things like that. Um, is there anything else that you want to sort of pass on to our members before we finish our podcast? No, just um, please always feel free to email me and contact me. And um, I am hoping that I'll be able to come to some of your events soon because I've got a very naughty Labrador. She absolutely loves pheasants and finding them is brilliant, but trying to get her to stay calm when she's uh, out <laughs> is difficult. So I, I'm in dire need to come along to some of your training sessions and watch some of the masterclasses. Um, and looking forward to meeting like more of the community. Will we find you in the game fair this year? Yes, I am doing. Um, I've got a, we've got a bigger stand this year. Um, we're next to the Country Food Trust. Um, and I'm also going to be doing some recipe demos on the stand throughout the show and also on the stage, I think on the Friday. 
We were next to you last year and you tortured me with the smell of incredible food all day long. Everyone in our town was like, what is that smell? But just quickly before we finish the podcast, do you want to tell the listeners about the Country Food Trust and how you work with them? Yep. So um, I'm actually ambassador for them. Well, so so social media ambassador for them. Um, The Country Food Trust um, was originally set up to... um, take pheasants and turn it into food for the homeless. Um, they now do it with not just pheasant, um, but with venison and also sort of cuts of meat that people wouldn't necessarily use. Um, and they've fed thousands of um, homeless people and it goes to homeless shelters um, and also to food banks now. Yeah, and they also did a huge Ukraine appeal and took a whole load out to Ukraine. That's incredible, isn't it? And it's important yeah. that we all know this stuff and talk about this stuff to show the good stuff that our industry is doing as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, uh, the Country Food Trust is an amazing charity um, and we are very proud to support them. Fantastic. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this week's pod dog. If you are interested in this topic, weeks ago we also had a podcast with um, Amy from Hardy. So go back and listen to that. That shows another way that women can show that pheasant gets into the consumer chain for in pet food. So speak to you all soon and I hope to see you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com.